You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. Turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 34 and 35 today. And this morning I want to talk to you about what it really means to follow Jesus. Uh, I remember being a youth pastor, and for, I was a youth pastor for about 10 years, and uh, one of the things we used to do with the teenagers is we like to go to the mall, and we would bring the kids to the mall. We'd have a van full of kids, and we'd bring them to the mall. And uh, what I learned real quickly is what teenagers don't want is they don't want me following them around the mall, <laughs> and they don't want me go leading like a group of them from store to store. They didn't want to follow me, and they didn't want me following them around. Um, so my wife and I, we usually take a van full of kids. We'd go to the mall. We'd let them run loose. Not crazy or anything like that, but we let them go and do their thing. So as long as you paired up and you didn't go off alone, you were with a friend and you went to different stores. And as long as you checked in at different places, you know, we're going to meet back at the food court at a certain time. And once that time comes around, we, we expect you to be there. And then we'll have uh, dinner or lunch and we'll go home. And so we as uh, youth pastors, and before we were parents, we were youth pastors, but we learned how to helicopter from a distance, if you will, to watch from a distance. So every mall has like balconies, and so you'd kind of position yourself in such a way that you'd watch them to make sure they didn't get into any trouble, they didn't break anything, they didn't uh, do any damage, and so we just kind of keep an eye on them from afar. And so they, they were fine with being there with us, they were fine with checking in with us, but they weren't necessarily crazy about following us. And sometimes I think that's the way that Christians look at their relationship with Jesus. That they kind of like check in with him periodically. Maybe you go to church once a month. Maybe you go on the sacred holidays of Christmas and Easter. Maybe you check in periodically, but you're not really like following him. What does it mean to follow Jesus? The disciples and those who Jesus called knew what it meant to follow him. It, the following him wasn't just kind of like a part-time deal. It wasn't just something you kind of did on occasion. You checked in once every so often. It was really their whole life was following Jesus. That's what it was about to them. So I want to kind of ask the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And to answer it with Jesus' own words. Jesus describes what it means to follow him. And let's take a look at Mark 8, 34 and 35. I'll be looking at the English Standard Version today. And it says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray today that by your Holy Spirit, you would help us to have ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to receive the truth of your word. Lord, help us to truly know what it means to be a follower and a disciple of Jesus. Help us to understand this truth today and help me to proclaim it clearly so it might bring honor and glory to the Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
following Jesus is not something that we kind of fall in and fall out of. It's not like a hobby, you know. He's like, well, for a little while I tried golf. Or for a little while I tried woodworking. But I kind of gave up on it after a while because I got bored with it. Following Jesus is not a matter of something we kind of do and then we don't do. It's not an if and sort of thing. It is an either, but it's an either or. Either we are following him or we're not following him. It's not we're, we're doing this and we're doing other things. It's really very black and white. And there are three things that we need to know when it comes to following Jesus, as stated in Jesus' own words. Three points that I want you to write down that will help us today to understand what it really means to follow Jesus. And the first is to follow Jesus, we must realize that, number one, there is a call. There is a call. He said, if anyone wants to come after me, if anyone wants to follow me, if anyone really wants to be my disciple, he makes it very clear what this is about. Following Jesus is not about being a fan of Jesus. Jesus had many who followed him around because they wanted to see what he would do. They wanted to receive a miracle. Maybe they wanted to receive a healing. In some cases, they wanted to, Jesus to feed them bread. He had fed the, the 4,000 and fed the 5,000. People said, this is great. I want to follow Jesus because he's feeding us. He's offering us free lunch. It's like going to one of those seminars where they offer teaching and lunch. And so they said, this is great. We're going to follow Jesus as long as he does this. Or let's see something amazing he will do. But there's, very, there's a very different thing between being someone who is part of a crowd and being someone who is committed to a cause. There were many people that were crowds that followed him, that pressed in to see him, that wanted to view him as though they were viewing something entertaining. They were fans of what he was doing. They would really get excited about that. But when it came to actually following him, it was entirely a different story. By follower, Jesus means being a disciple. Now, the word disciple means learner or follower. And we, as, as Christians, should never stop being disciples. We are always meant to be disciples. We should always be learning and learning to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. You never should grow out of that. You never get to a point in your life where you've outgrown the understanding of Scripture, where you've heard it all before and you can't be taught anything new. That's why it's so great to be part of a, a group Bible study or a group discussion because you will encourage each other. You'll bring out insights and wisdom, and sometimes you'll hear something or the way it's read, and it'll just jump off the page to you. We should always be willing to learn and to grow. The moment we stop saying, you know, I've heard that all before, the minute we say, you know, I've heard it all before, I don't need to learn anything new, is the minute we stop growing and we stop being a follower and we stop being a learner of Jesus. So he's calling them to discipleship. You'll find in, as you read through the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus called people by name. He would go up to where they were in the context of their job or in the context of their life, and he would call them by name and he'd say, come and follow me. It was a genuine calling. It was an identification with him. He would call them by name. And he said, come and follow me, not to follow me because I want an entourage, 
Not to follow me because I like having a big crowd of people behind me. Some preachers today, they like having a following, even though they're not producing disciples. This is different than that. Jesus is saying, follow me. When he said to them and he called them by name to follow me, he said, I want you to be part of my ministry. I want you to be my disciple. We know that Jesus chose 12, and then he also sent them out. He also chose 70 among them, and he sent them out for different uh, purposes for his ministry. And so he did these things with an intention and a purpose. But those listening to him understood what he was asking them to do. Most of them identified Jesus as rabbi or teacher. And it wasn't that, you know, he was a teacher who kind of traveled around and and people would gather and he would just kind of teach them things and he would go from place to place just for the purpose of teaching. He would go from place to place to teach with the purpose of gaining students that would sit under him and learn of him. To be a disciple of a rabbi meant that you were a student of that teacher and that you dedicated your life to being taught by that teacher. It meant that you, where he went, you went. Where he traveled, you traveled. What he ate, you ate. What he taught, you listened to and studied. What he gave you to do, you did it. And so this is the reason why some were okay with following him and others hesitated at this possibility. Some said no to his invitation. Can you imagine saying no to Jesus? There is a call. It's about what Jesus called us out of and what he called us into. 1 Peter 2.9, I've preached on it before, says that he called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. He called us out of darkness, not like a stranger walking by a, a roaring stream, saving someone who's drowning, and he pulls you out of the drowning river, and he sets you on the bank, and he says, see you later. Thanks for saving me. It wasn't that. It was like I'm pulling you out of darkness into my glorious light and the purpose I have for you. I'm rescuing you from sin and death for the purpose of living a new life in Christ. He didn't just rescue you and then just leave you on the roadside to yourself. He said, I've rescued you. Now come and follow me. He called us. He called you Not because we were the most wonderful people in the world. God doesn't choose people like sports teams draft athletes. He doesn't look at us and he says, you know what, that person's the smartest or the fastest or the best looking or the most successful. He doesn't look at us and choose us that way. He chooses us on based on how much we need him. He chose you because he saw that you needed him. You needed rescuing. You needed to be saved. And he chooses, oftentimes, the most unlikely people to follow him. If you look at the 12 disciples, there are certainly people that were unlikely to be chosen by any teacher to be his disciples to follow him. He didn't call us because of what we could bring to the table, but because of what we needed him to do in our lives. Jesus called us to follow him. His call is based on his grace and his mercy towards us. We were sinful, and he had mercy on us. We needed help, and he had grace upon us. And he extended his hand to us because we needed him. 
He called us and chose us because of his loving kindness. And our salvation came at a heavy price, but there is also a price that we need to pay as well. So there is a call. Thank God for the call on our life. Thank God that you are sitting here today because Jesus called you by name to be saved. But there's also a cost involved. He said, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself. Number two, there is a cost. If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself. To deny yourself means that you give up what you want in favor of what Jesus wants. Some people view Jesus as a means to get what they want. But Jesus says to follow him means that you give up being the controlling factor in your life. It means that you're no longer the majority shareholder in your organization anymore. You relinquish the role of CEO of your life. You get down and step off the throne of your own existence. When you say, I'm denying myself, I'm saying I'm no longer being led or directed by my desires or by the things that I want or the ambitions I have or the things that I think that I need. Instead, what we're saying is when we deny ourselves, we say, it's not about what I want, Jesus. It's about what you want. And how many know that there are times that what Jesus wants can be very different than what we want? We sometimes think we're following God and we're doing the right thing and we're doing what God wants us to do until he stops us in prayer one day and says, I don't want you doing that anymore. And we're sometimes challenged by that. We're sometimes upset by that because we really enjoy doing what we're doing. We really like the things that we're doing, even the things that we're doing for God. He says, no, I want you to submit to me, and I want you to follow me, and I want you to do the things that I want you to do. And it takes a certain degree of self-sacrifice to do that. You have to be willing to say, you know what, Lord, you're in charge, not me. So many times we see Christians trying to boss Jesus around as though Jesus works for them. Jesus did not work for us. He works through us. Amen? He does not work for us. He works in us and through us. But never forget who he is. Never forget his position and our position. We are seated in heavenly realms with Christ. Not because we got a promotion, but because of his grace and his goodness, he brought us up to where he is. We should be grateful for that. But we should recognize that we didn't get there because of anything we did, but because of everything about what he did for us. Putting him in charge of your life, relinquishing control of your life to Jesus is what it means when we call him Lord. Lord is not just a title. Lord is not just something he's called. Lord means master. It means king. It means ruler over my life. And so when we say, Lord, do what you want to do in me, we are essentially saying, I'm putting aside what I want so that you might have your way in me. Hear me when I say it today, church. If you want to see God do more in your life and you want to see him use you in a greater way, you have to be willing to set aside your own will and your own desires and your own good pleasure for the sake of following him. And only then can he have more of you 
to use more of you for his glory. To deny yourself means whatever God wants is what you want. Whatever his word says, that's what I'll do. To deny yourself means to give up your wants, your desires, your ambitions, and anything that conflicts with what God has for you. It's about giving complete control to Jesus. Jesus would often make these statements to sift out people who weren't serious about being his disciple. Jesus never gives false advertising about what it means to be a disciple. I feel like in some ways the American church has done that. Come to Jesus and all your problems go away. Come to Jesus and you'll have everything that you ever wanted. Come to Jesus and you'll never have any problems in your life. That's why so many people are shipwrecked when the first sign of trouble comes. Because they've been sold a message that is completely different than the message Jesus shared. He said, to be my disciple means that people might not like you. To be my disciple means that there's going to be people that are opposed to you. To be my disciple means that you're going to go through difficulties and hardships, not as a promise like, okay, that's what he has for us all the time, but because we are serving a king that this world doesn't recognize, there's going to be opposition to it. You know what I mean? There is a cost. And so he would always be upfront with them about what it was. He would always be direct about what it meant to be a disciple because he wanted them to know what it would take and it would sort out the people that weren't serious about it. Look at what he says in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 28. Now I'm going to read this in the New Living Translation just to help us understand it a little bit better because there's times where people read this passage and they're very troubled by it, and well, they should be. But without context, it sometimes can seem like Jesus saying something he isn't. And so in Luke 14, 25 through 28, Jesus says this, and a large crowd was following Jesus, and he turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. Now, reading that, that probably upsets you. Reading that, that probably shocks you. Would Jesus actually say it's okay for me to hate somebody? That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, okay, I read, I was in church today and pastor said it's okay for me to hate my wife. <laughs> or that you would go home and say, you know what, pastor said it's okay for me to hate my children. I really hate what you're doing today, so I'm being biblical and scriptural. No, that's not the context of what he's saying. He's saying if by comparison, he said, listen, to follow me means that there's going to be times where People don't agree with you. Jesus declared himself to be the Messiah at a time where there were people that didn't believe he was the Messiah. There were Jews and and, and others that followed and believed in Jesus, but there were also those who didn't believe in him and didn't like him at all. It was not uncommon for Jesus to be thrown out of a synagogue. And that if you were a follower of Jesus, you were thrown out of the synagogue too. Now, that's not the same thing as me throwing you out of church. Okay, I would never do that. <laughs> Though some have come close. So. <laughs> but for them, the synagogue was the center of public life. 
Everything had to do with that. Your sense of family, your business, your, your relation to the community and your neighbors had everything to do with being in the synagogue. If you were put out of the synagogue, it meant that the community no longer associated with you. They no longer did business with you. Your own family would sometimes deny that they even knew you or would even associate with you. If you read in the book of John, the, the story of the man that was born blind that was healed, when the man who's born blind is being grilled by the Pharisees and the chief priests, they bring in his parents and they say, is this your son? Was he born blind? They say, he is our son, but you ask him what happened. Why'd they do that? Because they didn't want to be cast out of the synagogue. And they knew that this man, because he was healed by Jesus and was starting to believe in Jesus, could be cast out of the synagogue. Their life would be changed forever. So he says, listen, if you're going to follow me, understand this. There's a possibility that your family might disown you. Listen, following me means that your neighbors might not associate with you anymore. Following me means that you might lose your job because of it. Or people might not do business with you anymore because of me. And then later on, as we look at the church in the book of Acts, we see an intense time of persecution where it says you could be imprisoned beaten, maybe even put to death for me. He says, I want you to understand that unless you love me more than these things, these other things will pull on you and pull you back into the world that they know. One of the hardest things in the world is to be a Christian and your own family doesn't get it. To be a Christian and your family doesn't understand you anymore and they disassociate with you because you're a Christian now. That's so hard and heartbreaking. And for a moment, there's a wavering where you kind of go, well, maybe I should lay off this Jesus thing. Maybe I should lighten up a little bit on that, like they said. But then you remember what he did for you and how much he loved you and what he, the way he forgave you and changed your life. And you say, how can I go back on that? To be a Christian, you might have become a Christian, and early on in your life, you recognize the people that you used to hang out with don't want to hang out with you anymore because you're not fun anymore. You don't do the things that we used to do. You don't talk about people behind their back like they used to. You don't get a little tipsy and maybe more so that you need to ride home anymore. You're not the person that used to do the things that you weren't necessarily ashamed of, but you kind of drank yourself into forgetting. Do you understand what I'm saying today? So now friends are disassociating with you. It can be a lonely walk to walk with Jesus. And for a moment, there's a, there's a wavering where you're kind of torn and you're, do I go back to my friends? Who am I going to hang out with? I don't, really, I don't really mesh with anybody in the church. I, and that's where the fellowship of believers comes in and we determine and we, we get to know each other better. You become part of a family. You might lose some friends, but you become part of the family of God. If you're not prepared for that, then you'll find it to be a very difficult cost to pay. Salvation came at a high price. It meant that Jesus gave his life for us. It seems only fitting that he would ask us to pay some kind of price as well. It's free for us to receive salvation, but the effects of being a Christian can be hard. Think of uh, when Jesus interacted with the rich young ruler in Mark 10, verses 17 through 22. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, Rabbi, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know, what, do, what does the law say? Follow the commandments. And he said, I've done all these things since my youth. And Jesus says to him, one thing, more thing do I require. If you want to be perfect, go and sell all that you have 
and give it to the poor. It says the young man went away sad because he had great possessions. The cost of discipleship is different for everybody. This is not what Jesus asked of all the other disciples, but he recognized for this young man, he was torn. Can you imagine being a disciple of Jesus and you want your own house and you want your own camel and you want your own entourage? Imagine this guy running with the other 12 and going, okay, this guy has better clothes, he has a better lifestyle, and he wants to still be who he is while following Jesus to the, you know, in, in front of these other men who have given up everything to follow after him. The cost is different for each person. The things that God might ask me to give up to follow him might be different than what he's asking you to give up. For me, the thing that's an issue for you might not be anything to me. But for you, it's a big deal. And conversely, the thing that might not be a big deal for you might be very difficult for me to give up. But he calls us to give those things up because there is a cost for being a disciple that we must consider. And he even says, you know, before you decide to be a disciple, before you decide to follow me, make sure you count the cost. Count the cost and know what's involved. There is a call There is a cost for being a disciple. And lastly, there is a cross to bear. Verses 34 and 35 of Mark 8 in our text. He says, if anyone wants to come after me, if they would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. One thing we have to understand here is that the cross didn't mean the same thing to those that were listening to this that it does to us today. You know, we wear, you know, a chain with a cross around our neck. You know, the cross is something that's very important to us and significant to us. For us, the cross means God's love. It means salvation. It means redemption. It means a sacrifice for our sins. It means so many wonderful things to us. But remember, this is Jesus talking about take up your cross before He went to the cross before he rose from the dead. So in the disciples' minds, in the minds of the hearers, all the cross was was an instrument of torture and death for criminals. How's that for like a a lead-in? You want to join my organization? You're going to have to be tortured and put to death like a criminal. That's not exactly the thing that you're kind of like, you know, that's a good lead-in. I'm not signing off for a timeshare with that promotion, okay? But in the minds of his hearers, he goes, so you're saying I have to die almost the equivalent of a criminal's death in order to follow you. That I have to take the path that there may be times where I'm going through suffering and difficulty. I may even lose my life for following you. Is that what you're saying, Jesus? And he's saying, absolutely, yes. You have to understand that There is a death sentence first, and then the carrying of the cross after that. Jesus said these words to illustrate what it would take to inherit eternal life. They would have to count themselves dead to the things of this life, dead to their past, dead to their reputation, dead to the life they used to lead, dead to their sin, to their selfishness, to their wants and their desires. Jesus also brings up the possibility that following me might mean that you might lose your life. Are you prepared to do that? And none of us really know if we're ready for that day. But I don't think we have to look too far in the, in the past, in the last three years, 
that there was a time, a dry run for our country where we said, if you don't like the same things we do, if you don't believe the same way things we do, you'll lose your job, you'll lose your home, you'll lose your health care, you'll have to move somewhere else. Don't think that we're that far off, folks. And I don't say that to be sensational. I just say that's a dry run for what could happen if one day our government or any other government says, you can't be a Christian anymore, or at least openly. You'll have to be quiet. You can't worship. And what would you do in those cases? What would any of us do in those cases? What if it meant that we, as Christians, it meant that it would be illegal to be a Christian? Could you do that? Could you still say, I don't care if it's illegal or not. I know what God's done in my life, and I choose to follow him no matter what. I think, if anything, we've seen, we've seen a great stirring up and a shaking out of the last three years. Churches that were large are not large anymore. Churches that were seeker-sensitive are no longer seeing people there anymore. Why? Because when it came down to it, when things got hard, they left. So where is our heart in all this? Jesus makes it clear what it means to be a disciple. We don't often think of this, but there are other parts of the world who experience this reality every day. There are countries in this world where being a Christian is in the minority, and to openly practice it, is illegal, and in some cases punishable by prison or death. Would you be willing to do the same thing? Jesus talked about that in the last days, these are the sort of things that will happen. Some will choose to renounce instead of suffering for his cause. But remember that even the apostles, 11 of the 12 of them, died a martyr's death. Should we think that we should be treated any differently than they? It's a sobering thought. Why can we choose to follow him? Because what we gain is so much better than what we stand to lose. We have to lose this life, but we have heaven to gain. We lose our sin, but we receive our salvation. We might lose the riches of this world, but we have the resources of heaven to gain. Jesus said, what does it profit for a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? You see, it's really easy to not want to give things up here. When you have a lot, when you are fortunate, when you have lots of friends, when you have lots of money, when you have popularity, whatever the case might be, and you have all these things, and you say, I don't want to give those up. My soul's not important now. When you're on the other side of death, you would give anything for your eternal soul. When you have nothing left, you would give everything that you had in this life just to be able to have eternity. He's saying, do it now, and you won't have to regret it. This is not like the price is right, or let's make a deal. There's no bait and switch in the kingdom of God. There's no like, hey, if you give me what's in your hand right now, I'll give you what's behind door number two. And sometimes it was a great gift, and sometimes it was a donkey, right? Think you're getting a new car, and instead you're getting like just a donkey. And everyone kind of like, oh, too bad, you know. But the Lord will never do that with you. He's not, like, he's not saying to you, give up everything you have and maybe you'll get something halfway decent behind that door. No, he's saying, give all that you have. I'm not talking money. I'm talking of yourself to serve me so that on the other side of that door is eternity and that will never end and you'll never have to give that up. To be a disciple means that there's a cross to take up carry 
This also means there's things that you need to die to in order to follow Jesus. He didn't save us from our sins so we could continue in our sins, but rather to set us free from our sins. Those things that you did before you were saved, even the things that you used to enjoy, maybe some of the things that you still enjoy, those things when the Lord deals with it either in His Word or by in times of prayer and conviction, He's not saying it to you as a suggestion. He's not saying it to you like, it'd be really nice if you did this, which is sometimes the way your wife has to say it to you because she knows that's the only way you'll receive it. What she really means is like, you should really stop doing that. But she's being as polite as she can because she knows that you can't handle any kind of criticism. Sorry if I'm getting a little too close to home. He's not saying it'd be nice if you got rid of these things. He's saying you need to get rid of these things. You need to nail them to the cross. You need to consider themselves dead. Even go even further than the cross. You need to consider those things as though you're dead and buried to them and not go digging through them again. Romans 6, 10, and 11 says this. For the death that Christ died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives in God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Write it down. Underline it. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. What does that even mean? Where some say, well, I need to die to self. What does it mean to die to self? It's not about being, like, holier than someone else. It's not about trying to outdo somebody with, like, religious acts. It's not about depriving yourself of food or other things to seem more holy to, to die to self is to really say to consider yourself dead to sin. In other words, those things that you're tempted to, you say, that's not mine anymore. I'm dead to it. That's not something that's part of me. I'm dead to it. Even more so, Christ died because of it. It should create in you a distaste for it. When you think to yourself, this thing is what put Jesus on the cross that should create a great distaste in our mouths and in our hearts. We must choose to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 12, therefore, do not let uh, sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Listen, once you accept Christ as Savior, your old life is gone. You're forgiven and free and given a new life in Him. Now that you have this new life in Christ, you need to consider your old ways and habits no longer a part of who you are. You've got to bury those things and consider them dead. And not go back to that grave and start digging through the grave and trying to pull out that rusty or dirty thing and you, and you cuddle it like it's yours. It's like as if someone took a stuffed animal and buried it in the dirt and it was your favorite stuffed animal and you really enjoyed it and you really loved it. But then you said, this is stupid, I don't need a stuffed animal anymore. You go and bury it in the hole. And you go, I miss my stuffed animal. And you're sucking your thumb and you need that. And you pull out this dirty, nasty, like, stuffed animal and you just want to cuddle it like it's yours. It seems ridiculous to think about, but that's what we do with our sin. We don't need it anymore. We see God do a tremendous thing in our life. We, he touches us at the altar. He transforms us. We're different. We experience his love. We experience his, his goodness. We experience his presence. And we're all excited about that. We get moving 
towards God, forward in God, and then something happens in our life, we get discouraged. Something happens in our life that we don't like. We get upset. We get frustrated. Life is stressful. And so what do we do? Instead of going to God with those things and saying, Jesus, I need your help, we've been so conditioned by our past, we go back to the things that got us into trouble in the first place. Stop cuddling that dirty old stuffed animal. Instead, run to the Lord who's given you life. And the part about this is probably the most difficult thing and why so many people fail is that you haven't gone through the process of being renewed in your thinking, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're still trying to do God's work with your own understanding. You're still trying to get victory with your own willpower. It won't work because it's your weak willpower that got you there in the first place. So what do you need? You need to go to God. You need to look at his word and say, his word says I shouldn't do this. His word says I'm better than this. His word says that he has a plan and purpose for my life. I don't want to grieve or dishonor God in any way, so I'm going to walk with him. To die to self is to recognize I don't need that anymore. I have something better in Christ. I have a new life in Christ here, and I have eternal life on the other side of death. He didn't just save us to kind of leave us on our own. He didn't just leave us on the roadside, but rather he says, come walk with me. And I tell you today, friend, that God will walk you through the darkest valleys of your life. God will be there for you in the lowest places. God will be there for you in your times of great sorrow in your times of great temptation, in your times of great testing, God will be right there with you. He is right there with you. Because scriptures tell us that when we receive Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit inside of us. And he's never leaving us alone. Even when you feel like you're alone, you're never alone. He's right there with you. So know that today. Run to him. Don't run to the things that you're used to. To be a disciple, truly, fully, completely, means that there is a call. He called us into something great. He called us out of darkness. There is a cost. Yes, there may be things he might ask you to give up and get rid of. There might be things that you even love and that are important to you that you have to part with, as hard as those things might be. And yes, there is a cross. There is a part of our life in which we may have to die to those things, and we may even face death for his sake, but are you willing to count the cost and follow Jesus? Are you willing to truly be his disciple? Maybe there's some things today as I'm speaking to you that you recognize the Lord's putting his finger on some things that you need to maybe consider yourself dead to. Habits, behaviors, things that you've grown accustomed to that you've become too comfortable with. And maybe he's asking you to get rid of those things today. Today is the day you can do that. And understand when I say it's not just a one and done. Well, I went forward, I got prayed for, and I felt good, and then I went home, and I did the exact same thing that night that I did the day before. Paul says, I die daily. You still have a sin nature. You still have God's spirit. You're still you, unfortunately. Right? And it's still you. Hey, listen, I'm not saying that as for you. I'm saying that there are times where you wake up, you don't like yourself. 
Am I right? A couple of you may think that way. Everyone's like, no, I'm great. There are times where when you get up, you're still you. You're still tempted by the same things. You still struggle with the same things. But the difference is you're not doing this alone anymore. His Spirit is with you. He's there to help you. So every day you get up and decide. Every day you sharpen your mind so that when the opportunity comes up to do the wrong that you're used to doing, I'm not going to do that. You take a conscious effort to, to walk with the Lord. And, and hear me, when you're tempted, don't go, Jesus, help me, Jesus, help me. Walk away from the temptation. Delete that number out of your phone. Stop driving by that part portion of town. Lose your dealer's number, whatever the case might be. It's not about asking Jesus to somehow come and swoop in and rescue you from the temptation. It says he'll always provide a way of escape. What's the way of escape? It's the spirit within us that says, this is wrong. I'm not going to do this anymore. So there's parts that we need to do in this, and he will help us do it. Do you believe that today? God is able. He's already rescued you once. He doesn't need to rescue you from temptation. He just needs to give you the strength to say no. Do you believe that today? Aren't you thankful for God's help? Aren't you thankful that he's there for you? Aren't you thankful that he hasn't left you alone, but that he's with you today? What he's asking us to do is difficult, yes, but Jesus doesn't want any more fans. He wants genuine followers of him. May the Lord help us with that today. Let's bow our heads. And maybe God's dealing with you to get rid of some things today. If that's the case, as I pray, bring those things before him. Say, Lord, I choose to die once more to these things. And I'll keep dying to them until finally I've gotten the victory. I may stumble along the way, but I'm going to get up and try again. The Lord is able to help you. So let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for saving us and redeeming us. Thank you that you've already paid the biggest cost on the cross. You've already died and rose again so that we can have life and newness of life. That life is available to each and every one of us here that vibrant life in Jesus, that life that's free from guilt and shame and difficulty, Lord God, the, the life that's free from those things that easily trip us up and beset us, Lord. Help us to see what life would be on the other side of this struggle and say, I don't need these things. I want to be free, and I know you can help me be free, but I don't know how. Lord, help them to recognize that, Lord, it's a daily walk with you. Help them to be willing to count the cost and truly be a disciple. Lord, we don't, Lord, you're not looking for part-time followers. You're not looking for people that are here and gone. You're looking for people that genuinely will walk with you every step of the way until one day we see you face to face. So we pray, be with us, help us to overcome and help us to find strength, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.